Would you join me for a word of prayer? Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Jesus said these words in John 13. Lord, we thank you on this day for your love for the world and everyone and everything in it. You have created us, protected us, bought us, sustained us, and nurtured us. You sent the Son of Man to live among us that we may come to know your love and become enactors of that love. It is by the example of your Son that we know how to love and we strive to be more like him. In Jesus, the world had the opportunity to witness your glory, your pouring out of your own self for us, to take and live and walk in love. The world is able to know you through your Son, who is still living among us in eternal life through the Spirit, working in each one of us to bring about audacious, society-overturning, kingdom-sustaining, people-strengthening acts of uniting and selfless love, we pray, Lord, today you might humble us with your love. Make us aware of its impact on us individually and directly, that we may become instruments and give that love in return to you and to everyone we know around us. For it is by your Spirit's work in us that we are transformed into Christians who have the power to introduce others to Jesus directly. Transform us that by our sacrifices and intentionality to care for our neighbor and our friends and the marginalized and the vulnerable, that we might give the world a glimpse of you. We pray that all may recognize your love for the world and that by our love, they will know who our God is. Amen. Goodness, find what you love. 
What a morning uh, to be together, musically, prayerfully, enthusiastically, and energetically led and shared as Yates Baptist Church. It's been a privilege to worship with you this morning. And as we turn our attention now to these words of Scripture, I want to begin by saying I'm not too proud to admit that I thought for years it was called Monday, Thursday. Uh, so much so when I finally saw it spelled in a church bulletin, M-A-U-N-D-Y, Maundy Thursday, I thought it was an error. Somebody had missed it. Maybe it was because I was raised in the South and maybe a degree separated from a more traditional liturgical approach to church worship. But that Thursday before Good Friday in Holy Week, it was called, and I could only hear it as Monday Thursday. Maybe it was our accent in the South, I don't know. But I've since been corrected, recalibrated, and oriented to understand that it is in fact called Maundy Thursday. And as we scratch below the surface of that name Maundy, which is so strange to us, we hear that it has its roots in medieval French, and before that in Latin, from the Latin word mandatum from which we also get the word mandate. And it's rooted in the command we hear from Jesus today, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Remembering Jesus' great command and the location and the actions that he uses to illustrate and illuminate the significance of that command becomes for us an important anchor in our reflections upon our lives here in the season of Easter. Sometimes things that happen in the past only make sense when we've gone through a certain body of experience and then look backward and understand and think to ourselves, oh, that's what it meant. Or, oh, that's why that might have happened. Soren Kierkegaard said that our lives are only understood looking backward, but our lives are lived <laughs> looking forward. And so sometimes we experience things that do not reveal their full significance until a point in the future. And I think as we look back on what Jesus does and says here in these words, before his crucifixion and before his resurrection, we can, on the other side of Easter, look back and say, oh, that's the significance of what he was communicating, what he was teaching, what he was imploring and commanding his disciples then and now to do. So let's hear these words from John chapter 13, verses 31 through 35. You can open in your Bibles. John chapter 13, verses 31 through 35. When he was gone, and the he there is Judas, when he was gone, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I will tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. 
a new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. May God bless the reading and the hearing of the word today. Well, to hear these words for all their worth, we have to go back to John chapter 13, which is set on the night Jesus was betrayed. And we do this to think again now about Jesus' teaching on love on this side of Easter. It's worth revisiting this teaching in that anxious moment. Sometimes we like to think our our proudest and most exuberant proclamations come in times when anxiety is lowest, when enthusiasm is highest, kind of like at 11 o'clock when I stood up and said, wow, what a day, right? You're ready to hear everything I have to say. That's not where Jesus and his disciples are as they gather now in those dark hours before his betrayal, before his death, as he brings to them both encouraging teachings and cryptic words about his departure from their presence. They're confused, they're worried, and they're wondering. And as they gather in that upper room for one last night together, Jesus washes his disciples' feet. And in chapter 13, he's also predicting his own betrayal, who we know happens by way of Judas. He also predicts his denial, which we know comes from Peter. In just a few verses after chapter 13, we hear Thomas exclaim in utter confusion after hearing everything that Jesus says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the road? Thomas, confused and doubting the resurrection, is there. And Peter, who will deny Jesus after he's arrested, is there. And even Judas, he's left right at this point in the story. Judas, who will betray Jesus and hand him over to those who want to kill him, is there. And Jesus, knowing all that is to come from this band of disciples, washes their feet. And we know in that culture, you have heard this taught over and over again, that the washing of feet was an appointed task of a slave, of a servant, of the lowest in the household. You've heard it before. Jesus is now humbling himself, doing the work of a servant among them. But stop and think now about the significance of what's happening there when you realize that Judas has his feet washed by Jesus. And then Jesus turns to Peter and washes his feet, knowing he would deny him. He washes Thomas's feet, knowing that he would doubt him. Jesus knows of what these disciples are capable of doing. He predicts it here in chapter 13, but he still gets on his knees and he washes their feet. And if you want a picture of love, Picture Jesus on his knees, towel around his waist, washing Judas's feet. That's love. And Jesus tells us this is what we need to do for each other. A new commandment I give you, that you love 
one another just as I have loved you. But I puzzled over it this week. I even talked about it for a while with Janelle. We explored different alternatives. What's new about this command to love? The call to love is not new in and of itself. It's mentioned many times in the Old Testament, the love of God and the love of neighbor. It's the greatest commandment, even, that Jesus said is captured there in the body of the law, to love God, to love our neighbor. It's repeated so often, it is not new. But Jesus says his commandment is. So I'll leave it with you as interpreters. Continue to puzzle over this. Maybe for some of us, it's because we haven't been loving very much at all, so to take up the mantle of love might be new to us. But looking more deeply, I think I can also see Jesus calling us to a new awareness of our place in our work in this world. In a sense, he's removing himself from the center of our focused devotion. And imposing himself into the lives and in the faces of those we spend time with every day. How does he say it later in Matthew 25? You've done it to the least of these, my sisters and my brothers. You've done it to me. Begin to acquire a vision that sees not only a neighbor, but a neighbor who bears the face, the voice of Jesus. How will that calibrate or tune your words in your activity with them even more jesus is also imposing himself as the standard by which we love it becomes new because now instead of relying on our own horse sense or the different voices in the world that might tell us what love is he has shown us in flesh and in blood and in action what love is. Take this on and do this. Love one another as I have loved you. That's what I want to focus on today. That's what I want us to reflect on. How might this shape our action? How might this shape the posture of our hearts, both before God and before one another? There are a few areas where I think we might be grown and shaped as we reflect on this together. And the first is to remember that love is offered without an agenda. That love is offered without expectation. The second is that love, as Jesus loved, renders us vulnerable. And third, to love as Jesus loved is to love people who are different than we are. Loving without expectation. Loving without an agenda. When Jesus washes his disciples' feet, it's not in a hope that they're going to return this favor. He has a desperate need to wash their feet. And when Peter resists, he says, I have to do this. And he washes their feet knowing they would abandon him. That he will die alone on a cross. But his love is unconditional. He does not attach strings to it. He loves without an agenda. His only agenda is to demonstrate God's love for us and to show us what that love looks like. And that's so 
different than the way this world works. It's hard even to get our minds around, isn't it? But the one thing that I've learned when I have risked loving in this way is that it's actually quite freeing. It's easier to love without expecting some sort of reciprocal action, like a transaction. But just because it may seem easier, it does not make it simple. It does not make it intuitive. It is a way we have to posture our lives, to posture our bodies and our hearts toward others. Because it's easy simply to look around our lives and locate those who can benefit us if we pour ourselves into them. Jesus taught, this is not a new thing. Jesus talked about this in Matthew. Don't the tax collectors do the same thing? If you love those who love you, what reward is that to you, he asked. C.S. Lewis, when he talked about the very mystery of love, says that love is never wasted, for its value doesn't rest upon reciprocity. Loving those who already love us is something that everyone does. Loving those who don't love you, that's something Christians do. And in this world, as Jesus' disciples, to love like that is our sign. If we love unconditionally, without an agenda, without expecting a single thing in return. Again, in his four loves, C.S. Lewis describes the second facet of loving like Jesus, and that is vulnerability. He said, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will be wrung, possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping your heart intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in a casket or in a coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. Vulnerability is the next facet of the kind of love that Jesus is teaching to his disciples then and now. Literally, that word vulnerable means able to be wounded. And when we are vulnerable, we open ourselves up to the possibility of being wounded. That's what Jesus is teaching us. That as we open up to one another in love, it also opens us up to the possibility that we may be hurt. That is what Jesus did, right? He loved Judas, who betrayed him. And he loved Peter, who denied him. He loved Thomas, who doubted him. He loved those who abandoned him. He offered forgiveness and love to those who crucified him. Jesus loved in a way that opened him up to these wounds. And that sort of vulnerability characterizes the love of Jesus. Brene Brown, a modern voice, 
in her book, Daring Greatly, says something very similar. She's not speaking as a theologian, but instead as a social scientist. To love is to be vulnerable, she writes, to give someone your heart and say, I know this could hurt so bad, but I'm willing to do it. And then she continues, there's an increasing number of people in the world today who are not willing to take the risk. They'd rather never know love than to know hurt or grief. And that is a huge price to pay. And the reason that's a huge price to pay, to cut ourselves off from the risk of vulnerability, is this. She says, we are wired for love. We're hardwired for belonging. It's in our DNA. And from the beginning, Scripture tells us the same thing, that God creates us to be in relationship with God, to be in relationship with one another, indeed to be in relationship with all of creation. And at our core, we're created for love, for belonging, for community. And when we reject these things, when we hide our heart, as C.S. Lewis says, in the casket or coffin of our selfishness, there is always suffering. Jesus came to restore a relationship between God and with us by suffering with us, by suffering for us. And he shows us then how to love. And the deep spiritual truth of it all is that loving in the way that he taught us will make us vulnerable. It opens our hearts. It is risky. But open hearts are the only hearts that can be filled with God's love. When we try and remain a self-contained, isolated, spiritual, relational, social ecosystem, we leave no room for God. As we open up to one another, we also open up to the great and powerful influence and impouring of God in our lives. And we're never done. In prayer this week, with my clergy colleagues, somebody made a comment about a long-standing hurt and pain that he was still kind of aware of that was triggered by a recent event. And somebody else made the comment, maybe that pain is an indication that there is healing that Jesus still wants to bring to you. And that's the first time I've thought about that in quite that way. That there is still healing, there is still hope, there is still opportunity, there is still love, there is still ministry that Jesus yearns to bring to you. But it only can come when we open our hearts to God and to one another. When we learn to love vulnerably. Love one another just as I have loved you. It has no agenda, it renders us vulnerable, and it leads us to love people who are not like us. Jesus loved people who were not like him. He loved people who disagreed with him, and he loved people who looked at the world very differently than he did. There's no one, it seems, Jesus did not love. It's the one thing that he was incapable of, not loving. We proclaimed that love again and the great truth that God so loved the world that God sent God's only Son. Of course, Jesus challenged those who were different than him. 
Sometimes he grew frustrated with them. Sometimes he would rebuke them. You can think of all those examples, but it doesn't mean it stops there. It means that he loved them enough not to leave them as they were. If Jesus didn't love the Pharisees, for instance, he wouldn't continue to engage in the same old arguments over and over again. But that old commandment from Leviticus, to love your neighbor as yourself, opens up before Jesus into a new commandment, to love those who are not our neighbors, or to love those we wish weren't in our neighborhood, (laughs) to begin to expand our imagination about just how big the neighborhood of God really is, that the people who are our neighbors might be more and different than we ever imagined before, and above all, to make the important focus of our work to be about being a neighbor. A friend of tax collectors and sinners, Matthew recalls. Jesus loved lepers. They were considered unclean, unloved by God. Jesus loved tax collectors. He even called one to be his disciple. He loved Samaritans. He loved prostitutes. He loved the poor. He loved those that society didn't even see. He loved his enemies. He loved his friends. He was a neighbor to them all because they were all loved by God, deserving of our love. Jesus completely redefines what it means to love one another by sharing that love without an agenda, vulnerably with all he encounters. You know, loving Jesus is not easy. Jesus never said it would be easy to love like him. And when we look back at his life, when we look at his death, and in light of his resurrection, we can see it was not easy for Jesus either. It was not easy to love unconditionally, without an agenda, without expectation. It's not easy to love in a way that renders us vulnerable to harm and hurt. It's never going to be easy to love people who are not like us. But Jesus didn't say it would be easy. Life is too short for me to tell you anything but the truth about this. You have gathered today to hear God speak. My prayer is that something I say might contribute to that voice in your life. But Jesus never promised us that if we walk with him on this path that he is calling, that it would be easy. It is possible. If it weren't possible, he wouldn't have commanded it. That's exactly what he did. He's asking us to do something that he's already done. And when we fail, and we will fail, I'll tell you the truth about that too. Jesus loves you. And when you doubt him, he loves you. When you betray him, he loves you. That's what true love looks like. It looks like Jesus kneeling, not just at Peter's feet, but at yours. Lovingly taking that vulnerable, precious part of you and washing it clean. And then calling on you to get up 
shake the dust off. And by the power of the Spirit, he grants to do the same. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. So let us love one another. Until all the world knows what true love looks like. Amen.